Alcoholics Anonymous began in 1934 when a man named Bill joined up with a doctor in Akron, Ohio to help people recover from alcoholism. Bill himself, at the age of 39, had been hospitalized on several occasions because of his alcoholism. A very engaged Wall Street banker, he realized he was set to lose it all. And through a couple of friends who shared with him a process of recovery, he took it one step further and developed the organization known as Alcoholics Anonymous. And with the help of his friends, including the doctor, he outlined a 12-step program for people to engage that would lead them to a life of sobriety and freedom. So many people's lives have been affected by this 12-step program that several times people have said to me, can we do something, talk about the theology of the 12-step program? It is because of people's ability to live their life again in freedom and in joy that this is good news to share. Indeed, it has been adapted for many other circumstances, helping people break free from all kinds of addictions. I do remember one story of a person for whom it took five years to work himself up to step three. The 12-step program is meant to be taken one step at a time. And this particular individual had had a hard time coming to terms with step three. Let me read it for you here. I make a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand God. I make a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand God. I thought of that step this morning in relationship to this morning's gospel. For here it is, Jesus has come, been handed over to Pilate, and Pilate asks him, Are you the king of the Jews? Now Jesus is curious as to why Pilate might ask this question. Why this particular title? Jesus wants to know from Pilate, is this something you recognize in me? Or is this something somebody else has told you about me? Pilate does not understand Jesus' question or why he's being so particular. For they are both using the word king and understanding it differently. Pilate understands the word king in relationship to an actual physical time and place. A king rules over a kingdom. The kingdom has particular boundaries that are either expanded or defended as needed. So Pilate's question to Jesus is whether he is the king over a particular group of people, maybe set in a particular land. But that's not how Jesus understands himself as king. He has been talking about the kingdom of God and he has been working to help his followers understand that it is not tied to time and place. It is not tied to a particular people. God's kingdom in Christ is beyond time and place and his kingship has made known 
by people's ability to recognize his, him as king. There will be no external crowning. There will be no gathering for people to come around and witness his kingship. There will be no particular throne in a particular place with particular land boundaries that are defended and expanded. Pilate does not understand Jesus' words, his use of the word king. So when Jesus asks him, do you say this on your own? Or did someone tell you about me? Pilate comes back with his answer. I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own people have handed you over. And Jesus again tries to help Pilate see that his people are the ones that follow him. It's not tied to a particular people. It goes beyond nations, beyond ethnicity, beyond race, beyond tribe. It goes beyond land. It goes beyond boundaries. So Jesus says to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. And those that know me as king, know me as king because they listen to my voice. That's what made me think of this third step in the 12-step program. I make a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand God to be. Now, maybe that feels a little too subjective to you. But I would beg to differ. Because I think any relationship of significance is noted because of the relationship between the two people. We do not need external forces or um, authorities to affirm or to identify relationships of significance. When you chose your best friend, did you have to go before someone to see, is this the best friend for me? No. You know what a best friend is. You know what a best friend does for you and with you. You know what a best friend, how they help you become more the person you want to be. What they help you discover in life. When you chose your mentor or someone to follow, you did not need someone to appoint that mentor for you. You knew when you saw that person, when you engaged them. That's when you knew this is the person I am going to learn from. Jesus is saying, that is where my kingship rests. Is when people open themselves up to follow me, to place me as king. I wonder if that person for whom it took five years to get to step three was challenged by the expectation of deciding to turn his will over to the will of God or if it was more in question of who God is. If I'm going to turn my will over to God, then who is God? Who might I allow to be in charge of my life? I got this list of steps from the website 12step.org. And they have a little PDF there that helps people work through each step, offers some questions for their reflection as they engage that particular step. 
And here is what they suggest as you engage this third step. What are your greatest fears about giving up control over your life to God as you understand God? What things, people, or circumstances have you tried to control in the past, and how has that turned out? Do you think that God will be able to handle your life better than you have? How do you feel in general about turning your life over to God? In what ways will you keep up the process of turning your life over to God? Possibilities include going to religious services, 12-step meetings, meeting with others in recovery, writing in a journal, service to others, meditation, reading, physical exercise, contacting your sponsor, or engaging in therapy. How would you answer the question, who am I? How would you answer the question, who is God? In other words, describe God as you understand God. Describe what you trust and to what degree. And what do you find meaning now or think that you can find meaning in the future? How do you think that you should live your life after giving your life over to the care of God as you understand God? What changes do you expect to make and how will this look in specific detail? How do you plan to celebrate or honor this step of turning your life over to the care of God? Describe any celebration or honoring activity that you have actually made in turning your life over to the care of God. So maybe this individual's challenge was not in the submission, but in his deep awareness that he didn't know who he would be submitting to. Who might he put in that blank to be in control of his life? And what would that mean for his life as he knows it? Jesus' kingship is known in relationship with him. And it is only in relationship with him that it is known. In the fourth century, when Christianity was becoming the state religion, the faithful who had been persecuted for centuries... There were some that were uncomfortable with this new union between politics and religion. We know them as the desert fathers and mothers because they actually went out into the difficult lands of Libya and of Egypt, the deserts, to distance themselves from the union of politics and religion in order that they might hear the truth and engage it in its most intimate form. Their teachings from the fourth century, these desert mothers and fathers, have been handed down for generations. It's from them that the Western practice of meditation became something that we are familiar with. There are many stories and teachings that have been passed down through these centuries. And I want to share one with you that I found in Parker Palmer's little book, to know as we are known, education as spiritual journey. He tells this story. It's about some brothers who go out to see Abba Felix, Abba meaning father, a desert father, a hermit in the desert. This is the story. Some brothers went to see Abba Felix and they begged him to say a word to them. But the old man kept silence. 
After they had asked for a long time, he said to them, You wish to hear a word? They said, Yes, Abba. Then the old man said to them, There are no more words nowadays. When the brothers used to consult the old men, and when they did what was said to them, God showed the old men how to speak. But now, since the brothers are asking without doing that which they hear, God has withdrawn the grace of the word from the old men, and they do not find anything to say, since there are no longer any who carry their words out. Hearing this, the brothers groaned, saying, Pray for us, Abba. Christ's kingship is known in relationship to him. Christ's kingship is known as we place him as king of our lives. The kingdom of God that Jesus came to bring about is known as we are in relationship with one another under his reign. It goes beyond people and nations, races and creeds. It goes beyond ethnicities. It goes beyond tribes. It goes beyond land boundaries. It is known as we are in relationship with Christ and one another. It is known in our listening to his voice. You might find it interesting that the word obedience in his Latin origin is from the word adire, which means to listen. Jesus says, the people of my kingdom listen to my voice. And it is Christ's kingdom that I know I want to be a part of. The kingdom where we are taught primarily to love one another. The kingdom in which we are taught to forgive one another, to restore one another to community. The kingdom that we are taught to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to welcome the stranger into our home. That's the kingdom I want to be a part of, in case I'm the one who is naked, I'm the one who is hungry, or I'm the stranger. Jesus came to establish a kingdom in which the vulnerable have their needs met. That's the kingdom I want to be a part of, in case I'm the vulnerable who needs her needs met. Christ has come to establish a new kingdom. And on Christ the King Sunday, we can say, Jesus is king, Christ is king. Whenever we make him king in our lives, and in so doing, as we listen to his voice, we begin to establish his kingdom on earth. Jesus said to his followers in the Gospel of John, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. It's tempting for us to hear this as an exchange, as if God will give us God's grace if we keep his commandments. But it's not at all. Jesus is saying, in keeping my commandments, you abide in my love, because this is where it is, as you love one another, as you serve one another in my name, as you see me in the stranger and you tend to me. This is my kingdom made known here on earth. We might find ourselves then, as we seek to be a part of this kingdom, saying the words that George Herbert penned in his poem, King of Glory, King of Peace. The choir is going to sing this as their offertory anthem. George Herbert was a 
priest in the 1600s, right at the start of the Anglican Church, and wrote some beautiful poetry that captures our understanding of what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. He says in his last stanza of this poem, I can't raise you, Christ, in heaven, but I can raise you in my heart. And even though I'm a feeble person and small in frame, I will let you fill me up as a reflection of your greatness. To sing your praises, eternity would not be enough time. But I'll start today, and I will sing your praises seven days a week in an effort to reflect the praise that you deserve. We are a part of the kingdom of God, made known to us in Christ the King. And we are invited to be a part and to live into that kingdom day in and day out. May we hear this as the invitation it is meant to us. May we hear this as the opportunity to place Christ first and foremost so that we might learn how to be participants in his kingdom, citizens of the kingdom he is bringing about, the kingdom of love. Amen.